0: The Huntley Baptist Church Podcast We hope that this message Can be an encouragement to you today Please feel free to contact us At huntleybaptist At extra.co.nz Or visit us at huntleybaptist.com
1: Good morning Everybody Right, Okay I'm going to get past all my little notes from my wife And go into the actual content (laughs) I think I'll be alright. Thank you though, Anna. Right. Uh, so today is our third message on the book of Revelation. One message, two message. now we're going back a step <laughs> to, to 12, uh, to Revelation 12. Kind of fitting because the book of Revelation does that. And the majority of the book of Revelation, as I'm sure you've probably already seen, is full of all these cross-references and symbolism. And sometimes, speaking from my own experience, it can be a little bit intimidating, and it can cause people, again, speaking of myself, to shy away from it, almost feel like you need like a a Bible college degree or uh, to have read all the major books published on it to to get anything out of it or to commentate on it. But in preparation for this, I was encouraged by the fact that we as believers— have the most amazing teacher at our disposal, which is the Holy Spirit. It's in John fourteen twenty six. for you note-takers, it references that the Holy Spirit actually teaches us. So that's the current plan for today, to compare Scripture with Scripture and to ask the Holy Spirit to teach what He will. So I'm going to pray now, and then we're going to get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you um, have given us your Holy Spirit to teach us, Lord God. And in a, such a book, a difficult book to understand and to interpret, we ask especially today, Lord God, and for the remaining messages that your Holy Spirit would be the one teaching and that uh, you wouldn't let us get in the way, Lord, uh, of that. So this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Revelation 12, 1 to 11 is what we're going to be looking at specifically. I don't have a slide of it. It's quite long. Sorry, Luca. So I'm just going to read through the whole thing, and if you follow along in your Bibles, it would be great. So that's Revelation 12:1 to 11. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold a great dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them down to the earth. and the woman stood before, and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to for to devour her child as soon as it was born. and she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up t- unto God. And to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Right. <laughs> Yes, wow. So for some context, Revelation 12 is situated after this period of chronological events in Revelation. So these events that are following in, in date order, especially talking about the tribulation, the opening of the seals. But Revelation 12 is almost like this bookmark in it. It it's, it's, contains events that have happened in the past and events that are going to happen in the future. So it mainly centers around introducing several characters, one of which we're going to look into today. Now you could spend months, we could spend months and months going through this chapter alone, like there's a verse on every sermon, a sermon on every verse, and I've got 30 minutes, 27 now probably. So today we're just going to keep it simple, or try to at least, and focus on two particular verses or sections. So first, a question is, who could this woman be? Now there are, as you can imagine, a few different opinions as to who this woman is. But before we ponder on who she is or what she represents directly, let's work through the description of her. And I want to uh, highlight something quickly. In the beginning it says that there appeared a great wonder in heaven. I know some versions say sign, uh, sign and wonder. If you look in there's Deuteronomy 13 as one example, a sign and a wonder is like the same thing. It's not like a, "I wonder what I'm going to have for lunch kind of deal. It's, it's, a, it's a sign. It's a miraculous wow. Uh, just to yeah, start off with that. So, so this woman and this whole process was, a, was a, a sign. Now what about the description closed with the sun? So if you bring up a trusty Bible reference program like Esword and you put in the word sun, you get all kinds of different results. For example, you got Genesis 19.23. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zor. Yes, it's got the word sun in it, but it's not really relevant. <laughs> uh, it doesn't really shed too much light, pardon the pun, on our mysterious woman. So what about a verse like Psalm 84.11? For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold. From them that walk uprightly. So then you get a verse like this. Now that's interesting because perhaps the reference to the sun, being clothed in the sun, could be a reference to God shielding this woman. Maybe protecting her, perhaps. What does the word, word shield bring up? So if you go to Psalm 5, verse 12, it says, For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous with favour, wilt thou encompass him as with a shield? Okay, so who the Lord favours, he shields or protects. Psalm 115 verse 9 says, O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. So the psalmist again reminding Israel that the Lord is their shield. Okay, so let's park that one. It might be food for thought. We'll move on to the next thing that it talks about, this woman, is that the moon is under her feet. So where else is this phrase used in Scripture? So we go to Psalm 47.3. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. So this verse seems to be suggesting that to to be under someone's feet is to be subdued or to be like overcome or brought under control. But do we have any other verses to back that up? Well, we do. Hebrews 2 verse 8 says, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. It's talking about Jesus. For in He put, for in that, he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet the the all things put under him. So again, that's highlighting that, like, subjection, to be under someone's feet means control or domination or to rule over. So we definitely seem to be moving in the same direction here. Uh, To have something under your feet means to control it, to rule over it. Now, it's interesting that that passage in Hebrews is quoting, in part, a well-known passage from Psalm 8. So if we go to Psalm 8, 3 to 6, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, or made, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visiteth him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honour. Thou hast made him to have dominion, control over, over the works of thy hands, and thou hast put all things under his feet. So, if we look back to to the woman in Revelation 12, I think we could reasonably assume that when it says the moon is under her feet, it means she's got control and dominion over it. And the psalm we read says that God has given man dominion over all the works of his hands. And it says, in earlier, that the works of his hands are the moon and the stars as well. Interesting. To me at least. (laughs) So when I read into that, I think, okay, I don't think this woman is representing a beast or or an angel or anything like that. I think this woman is part of mankind because that's the promises that mankind had. Okay, great. But that doesn't really complete the picture, and, and here's why. The three most common answers I've been given around who the woman is in Revelation 12 are as follows. One, Mary, as in the mother of Jesus. We'll see a why a bit later down the track. But in the meantime, she's favoured by God. Luke 1.30 says that. She's a part of mankind, obviously. So she kind of checks out with what we know so far. The second one would be Israel, like the nation of Israel. Again, favoured by God, definitely protected by God, and certainly a part of mankind. Again, a possible fit. The thing with the nation of Israel, too, is it's quite often described as a woman in the Old Testament. Places like Lamentation, Hosea chapter 2. And another option, a third one that I've heard often, the church. So us. We're often described as being clothed in the righteousness of Christ, as being salt and light to the world. Uh, the Lord also likens the church to a woman, like to a bride. In Ephesians 2 and 2 Corinthians. In Ephesians 5 and 2 Corinthians. So there's all these kind of possible... Options out there. Now some of you might be thinking, slash all of you might be thinking, okay, who really cares, mate? <laughs> uh, we don't want to know how the sausage was made. Just, <laughs> just tell us who you think the woman is and let's move on. You see, for the la- Did someone say yes? <laughs> you might be disappointed. Uh, y- yeah. You see, for the last couple of weeks, I've been feeling a bit discouraged about this series. I come from a family who has quite strong opinions about the book of Revelation uh, and relatives who have studied it in detail a lot more than myself. And I've seen in the past uh, how it can divide people. So I wasn't really that keen to see that happen here. But in that, I felt the Lord saying to be encouraged. And I asked him why. (laughs) And I, again, felt that he reminded me that it's great when brothers and sisters in Christ contend or wrestle over the Word of God, it's much better than being apathetic and not caring at all. Uh, as Proverbs 27 17 says, iron sharpens iron. Butter doesn't sharpen iron. Iron sharpens iron. Butter is just delicious. But when we contend, it must be done gracefully, in love, and Corinthians 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2 says that specifically and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith that I could move mountains and have not charity or love I'm nothing. So I think it's been said before by Murray quite well that when yeah when we're contending with each other when we are presenting ideas to each other that yeah if we're not doing it in love and gracefully then it doesn't count. My granddad, or Pop, as we affectionately call him, used to ask me all the time, Mark, what makes the Bible so special? And from memory, uh, I always knew the answer, but I'd humor him anyway. I'd say, well, granddad, it's full of wisdom. Or Pop, it's full of wisdom. And he'd say, yes, true. But so are the Chinese proverbs and the writings of the great Greek philosophers okay, granddad. well, Pop, it's it's full of fantastic stories and beautiful poetry. And he'd say, yes, it is. But so is Shakespeare and ancient stories from many civilizations. And by that time, I'd got sick of the conversation, and I'd say, it can tell the future, Pop. And he would say, ah, yes, the future. Only a divine book could tell the future, he would say. So I guess this morning... My heart for it is that it isn't really a message on the intricate details of Revelation twelve. Again, we, we don't have time. <laughs> it's it's partly a message on the richness of Scripture, of its divine importance, that you can pick it up and read it and through the power of the Holy Spirit receive the word of God for this dying world. People have died for this book. And I'll admit, sometimes I will purposely leave it out of my laptop bag when I go to work, just in case I feel convicted to leave it at lunch, read it at lunchtime. Sad, eh? So should we carry on? Are you still with me? Good. We're going to skip ahead to verse 5. Thank you, <laughs> Anna. Revelation 12, verse 5, to get a few more clues about this woman. Revelation 12, verse 5 says, And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. So this woman gives birth to a child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and would go up to God and his throne. A rod of iron is a pretty specific phrase. So let's see where else this appears in Scripture. We've got a few examples. Psalms 2 verse 9. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Or um, back to Revelation 19, verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Who do you think these verses are talking about? Mhm. Yes, it appears so. When you look through those verses and you read the context of them, which we won't go into today, it's talking about Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Very good. So, yes, it appears so, but let's kind of try and put the nails in the coffin. Where, <laughs> as such. Uh, it, where does it talk about him being caught up to heaven? This this child, man-child, gets caught up to heaven. Well, we've got Acts nine, And when he, speaking of Jesus, had spoken these things... While they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Or Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Or Revelations itself, 321, to him that overcometh will I grant me to sit in my throne, Says Jesus speaking, even as I also overcame, and am set... am set down with my Father in his throne. There's also one that was quite a late comer to come out of this sermon, but it interests me that it talks about these signs in the beginning. And Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus. Okay, so if Jesus is the child that the woman gave birth to in Revelation 12, then Mary would be a pretty strong contender for who this woman is. But then it also could be talking about the nation of Israel as a whole giving birth to Jesus since he came through the line of King David. Like other books of the Bible, like Song of Songs or Ecclesiastes, uh, Revelation uses symbolic language, so you can't really just take it as face value as a woman equals a woman, <laughs> like my wife. Or it makes sense to me. Um, yeah, and sorry, and Revelation also, as we've discussed, it talks about things that have already happened and things that are going to happen. Now, to me, it makes sense that Jesus gave birth to the church, again symbolically not the other way around obviously jesus has always been there so he he in a sense created the church as well and uh, but yeah we didn't create jesus jesus was around before the church seems to me a bit unlikely that this woman would represent the church right from the beginning of the chapter there are theories that the woman becomes the church later on in the future and that we're kind of adopted in as spiritual israelites but I'll be honest, that's a study for another time (laughs) because there's a lot in that. Eagle-eyed ones among us may have noticed that I skipped out a specific description of this woman. Upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. Now, good Catholics would probably try and say that this cements their belief as Mary being the Queen of Heaven, and so the obvious choices of this woman. But do stars have symbolic meanings too? So if we go to Genesis 37.9, And this is talking about Joseph. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren. And said, Behold, I've dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me, which is like worshipped him. So that's Joseph. That's the son of Jacob, who was renamed Israel, talking to his brethren, literally the children of Israel, all the brothers that the twelve tribes are named after. And he is calling his brothers stars, 11 stars bowing down to him. Why not 12 stars? Well, because he's the 12th star. So in that instance, stars represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Interesting, right? Revelation chapter 12 has an example too. Verses 3 and 4 talk about a great dragon in heaven, who we're not going to go into too much detail today, but because it's described as a devil or Satan later on, dragging a third of the stars out of heaven. And casting them down to the earth. Later, Satan's described as being, down, being cast down to the earth again with his angels. So in that instance, stars appear to reference angels. And then this occurs again in Revelation: 120. Jesus says, "The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches." So if in some places we've got stars representing angels and then we've got stars representing the 12 tribes of Israel, is there a verse that kind of references both? I'll let you decide with Revelation 21 verse 12. And had a great wall, uh, had a wall great and high and had 12 gates. And at the 12 gates, 12 angels. And the names written thereon of these 12 gates are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Hmm. The walls of the city mentioned as New Jerusalem are coming out of the heaven to God and the 12 angels standing by the 12 tribes of Israel. I don't know, to me that's quite interesting. (laughs) What do you make of that? In preparation for this, um, as I'm sure all who speak here seek to do, is is to hear the message that the Lord wants to pass on, to try and bring nothing from what I've got to say, because what I've got to say, yeah, isn't relevant. At first... I stressed out about the content of this chapter <laughs> or what I should focus on, um, how could I possibly be able to seek to explain a chapter that people have been debating for thousands of years. Um, but in all honesty, I don't really feel like I have to. What I feel a piece about was demonstrating, and I pray that I've done that in some regard, as to how much a treasure trove the Bible is <laughs> and how interesting and rewarding it is to search through it and like, just let it speak for itself. Acts 17.11 speaks about these noble believers in uh, Thessalonica that they received the word with all readiness of mind um, and they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether the things Paul was saying or not were true. It's like they didn't take them at face value and I don't expect you to take anything I say at face value either. My my heart, my prayer would be that you go out and study for yourself. So I'm not going to say who I think the woman is Again, like I said, I would hope that it's inspired you to do some of your own treasure hunting. And maybe I'm completely off base in the examples that I've given. I challenge you to challenge me. In fact, I welcome it. But remember, in love, or it doesn't count. <laughs> now, before we wrap up, I, I feel I have to finish with thoughts on verse 11. Uh, Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him, talking about Satan the devil, by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. So this is is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. The fact that our testimonies are put in the same sentence as the salvation-bringing blood of Christ Jesus just blows me away every time. But what is it about our testimonies that make them so powerful, that make them this tool that can be used alongside the blood of Jesus? Here's a thought. A couple of weeks back, uh, we talked about s- when Satan tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden and what Satan was essentially saying to Eve. It's Genesis 3 1. He says, Yea, hath God said? So, if you remember, the point brought out was that he was trying to cause Eve to doubt God's word and to doubt God's character, which means to doubt God's goodness because God's goodness is part of God's character. In Genesis 3, 4, and 5, he says, Yeah, you shall surely not die. You shall not surely die. For God does know that in the day ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So, in, in essence, I believe Satan was accusing God. He was accusing God of holding out on Adam and Eve. He was saying that God was keeping something good from them, something that they needed. In Revelation twelve ten, Satan's called the accuser of our brethren. And it's Satan's own story not similar to this. Isaiah fourteen, thirteen and fourteen describes how Lucifer, which is Satan's name before, he wanted to be above the stars. Now when I read that, above the stars, I think, hmm, if stars represent angels, he wanted to be above his station and be like the most high, it says, be like God. He didn't want to be another angel, he wanted to be above. He wanted to be like God. He was proud, he was ungrateful, and he didn't believe that the place that where God had him was the perfect and best possible place for him to be. He wanted more. So what's this got to do with our testimony? When we share our testimony, what are we essentially doing? Testifying. Giving evidence of what? Of the goodness of God. So maybe we're telling someone about Jesus and what he's done in our life. The goodness of God to send Jesus in the first place is on display. We're giving evidence of that. We are the evidence of that. Maybe we're telling someone about the answer to prayer that we've recently had. Again, the goodness of God is on display, that he would care enough about us and what we're going through to intervene and grant our request for help. Now God is God and God is good regardless of whether we say he is or not. But when it comes, but when it talks about our testimony being a part of what ultimately overcomes Satan, maybe, and this is a thought, maybe it's because when we share our testimony, we're actually giving evidence against Satan's accusations. When Satan or the world he controls said that God doesn't care about us, we stand up and testify that God answers the prayers of those who call on him. When Satan says that God doesn't have our best interest at heart and that we should try the devil's way, we stand up and testify that the only good in our life comes from God. That we tried our own way and that it only leads to death. That God is our fulfillment and our portion. That he sent his precious son Jesus to die on the cross just to save us from our horrible choices, from deciding to go our own way. So when we share our testimonies, we glorify God which is the main thing, but we also do something else. We call out Satan for what he is, which is a liar. Now, my pop was a hard man, and I got permission to share his testimony a little bit. As a teenager, he stole whatever he could get his hands on, including the specially modified car of a handicapped woman. He also chased women like it was going out of fashion, and he swore like a sailor. So he was shipped off by his family to become one. They thought he's either going to be in the Navy or be in prison, so let's try the Navy first. So after attempting to kill a Japanese taxi driver for his money, he was sent to prison, so he got both medicine. And there he gave his life to Jesus and was baptized in that very prison. Now he's been asked to share his testimony on many different occasions, and he usually did. And I've got no doubt that many people have been saved as a result of the Holy Spirit working through his story. But testimonies aren't always said out loud, eh? My pop used to tell me that he had a challenge in his testimony when he first got released from prison and went back to the mess hall in the Navy, full of savers. I think he said hundreds, so I can't quite remember. And as he sat in front of his food, he felt this challenge. What are you going to do? He could see a lot of eyes on him. And so he bowed his head and gave thanks for his food, and he could hear people whispering and nudging each other, saying, "Is that Randy Pierce? That's how much he loved chasing women. His nickname was Randy. Is that Randy Pierce? What's he doing praying?" My pop was a new creature, <laughs> and it was very hard to deny that. His family said that he looked different. Now my pop actually speaks very fondly about one conversion in particular in relation to his testimony and that's of his own dad. So apparently my great-granddad was so amazed at the transformation of his once rebellious criminal son that he said if God can change a man like that then there must be something in this. So a little while later my great-granddad hopped his way down to the front of his church on his one leg and was baptized. You see When Jesus healed the demon-possessed man in Mark 5, he says, Go home to thy friends and tell them how the great things that the Lord has done for thee and has had compassion on thee. And it says that all men marveled at this man's testimony because they knew who he was before, and they knew what he was before. And what about Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead? Do you think he needed to speak much? He was the testimony. I'm aware of people who grew up in the church expressing their lack of confidence in their testimony, like somehow it's lacking because they haven't been through this massive trial period. It lacks nothing. When I look at families in this church, faithful families who have faithful children and who now have faithful grandchildren, their lives testify powerfully of the protection of God, the blessings of God, and the goodness of God. What did we read about before in Psalm, 80 thing, Psalm 84? No good thing will God withhold from them that walk uprightly. That's why it's so important. We don't walk uprightly because we're trying to please God or make him love us more. We walk uprightly because it adds to our testimony of him. Never underestimate the power of your testimony because it's not even yours. It belongs to the Lord. He did it. He did the work. So it doesn't matter if you've been in the church your whole life. If you have a story like my pops, both speak of the goodness of God. So my challenge this week, I I was challenged with this a few years ago, this is my challenge to you, ponder what the Lord has done for you and start preparing a testimony of your journey with the Lord. I got given advice once, prepare three versions, a 30 second version, a three minute version and a 30 minute version. You'll be surprised which one's the hardest, then ask the Lord for opportunities to share it will take courage and boldness. Ask the Lord for both. Speaking of boldness and courage, trying to at least. If there's anyone here that has a testimony this last week, and I'm not asking for anything long, in fact I'm requesting that it would be short, of something that the Lord's done in your life over this last week, I would ask that you would be prompted by the Holy Spirit and ask that you would come up and share quickly. If not, totally fine but i felt it was i needed to put that out there because we should always jump at opportunity to give the lord praise and glorify him so i'm going to read revelation 12:11 and then like i said if anybody wants to come up otherwise we'll get into prayer revelation 12:11 and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they love not their lives unto the death.
0: Morning. Um, So yesterday I went to a funeral. So this isn't particularly about me, but what I observed. So I went to a funeral in Waihee Baptist. And this man, his funeral was packed, and he loved Jesus from the day he was, I think he must have been five. He was 83 when he died. His testimony was so powerful. All his life, he represented Jesus to everybody. He ran youth groups, um, he, was a, uh, he sold houses, and so he, he shared Jesus with the people that he sold houses with. He just took every opportunity to share his testimony with everybody he met, and it was such a powerful testimony. And I, I just thought, you know, I just want that to be said of my life when I die. But it kind of broke my heart when I looked at the congregation and, you know, we were singing these powerful hymns. Very few people knew the words. And I just think it's just so sad, our society today. But I just took such heart that all of those people heard the gospel in such a powerful way yesterday.
1: Amen. Thank you for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have blessed us with a testimony of freedom through your precious Son, Jesus. Thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit to guide us and to teach us. And as we go out this week, I ask that you would bring to life, Lord God, the testimonies that are in this congregation, that they would be used for you, for your glory, Lord God, and for the expansion of your kingdom that we may contribute, Lord God, alongside the blood of the Lamb and be overcomers with you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.